We're just going to read one verse together. It's John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. A sign at a football game, a refrigerator magnet, a tattoo, a bumper sticker, a note on an athlete's shoe, a billboard on the highway, desktop wallpaper, a text message, a tweet, a note scribbled on a napkin and handed to a waitress, words shouted at the top of a street preacher's lungs, an old woman's dying breath, all carrying the same words. Words that have been on the lips of world leaders, kings and queens, poets and artists, popes and pastors throughout the ages. Words that have broken chains, brought light into darkness, raised dead people to life, healed diseases and set captives free. Words that were on the lips of Billy Graham, Dr. Martin Luther King and D.L. Moody, Charles Spurgeon, John Calvin, Thomas Aquinas, St. Augustine, St. Basil the Great, St. John the Apostle, these words, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now I imagine that these words are familiar to everyone in the room, whether or not you're a child of God or not. Whether or not you know the Lord Jesus. Uh, Christians know John 3.16, and non-Christians know John 3.16, this classic text in the Bible. And yet I hope that the familiarity of these words in John 3.16 does not remove the wonder of these words. John 3.16 contains some of the most wonderful language in all the Bible. And more than that, it contains some of the most precious truths that have ever been revealed to mankind. We have in John 3.16 the heart of the Christian message. We have in John 3.16 the heart of the gospel. We have in John 3.16 the most important message that any of us could ever hear. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Tonight I'd like to preach to you a very brief and simple message on this most wonderful of Bible texts, John 3.16. I'd like to preach to you tonight on God's gift to the world. And I'll expound this text under three main headings. The first is this. John 3.16, we see, first of all, a magnificent love. A magnificent love. The verse starts, John 3.16, For God so loved the world. Now I see the greatness, the magnificence of this love in three ways in this text. First of all, we see the greatness and magnificence of God's love in the unworthiness of love's object. The unworthiness of love's object. Now, now when you first read John 3.16, for God so loved the world, we might start enumerating in our minds how many people there are that live in the world. The number's, I think, over 7 billion now, okay? It's a massive sphere. uh, Millions upon billions of people across the globe. But it has been said by New Testament scholars and commentators that the magnificence of God's love, the greatness of God's love, does not come to expression primarily in the bigness of the world, but the badness of the world. It's not just that the world is this massive uh, uh, globe, this massive earth where so many people live, where there's such a large population. It's that the world is so bad. It's that the world is a sphere of darkness and sin. That the world is full of men and women who live in active rebellion against God. The world is a bad place, a world marked by pain and suffering and disease. 
a world marked by hate and by war, a a world that is marked by sin and perversion and murder and rape and lying and backbiting and stealing. The world is full of sinful men and women. And yet it's this world, this big, this bad world, that God says he loves. That's, That's where we see the magnificence of God's love. It's the unworthiness of the object. It's that God did not set his love on, on something so beautiful, something so wonderful, something so worthy of his affection and his attention. But he set his sights on sinful men and women who were born in sin, who were born to die. He sets his affections on them. And his great mission of sending his son into the world is directed at that unworthy object, the world. But the greatness of God's love, the magnificence of God's love, secondly, is seen in the vastness of love's embrace. The vastness of love's embrace. What am I getting at with that kind of language? It is that in John 3.16, it's as though God opens his arms and says to every man and woman, every boy and girl, I love you. And I've given my son, and whoever would believe in him does not have to perish, but will have everlasting life. His embrace is so vast so wide. He's so ready to receive so many people that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of John 3.16 can save Jew and Gentile. It could save black or white or Asian or Hispanic. It could save man or woman. It could save rich or poor. It could save the disenfranchised. It could save those who were without opportunity and chance in the world. It could save those who were uh, disavowed and disowned and used and abused by this world. It could save those who are kings and queens, those who are popular in the world, those who are rich in the world, those who have material belongings. There is literally nobody who falls outside the scale of John 3.16. God is prepared to show his love in Christ to anyone who would come to him and believe. Love's embrace is vast. Isn't it amazing to think, I've said this before at least a couple of times here at Emmanuel Church, that what started as literally a fledgling sect smaller than the amount of people in this room. Okay? Meeting on a mountain with Jesus, he gives them this great commission. And now there are, I think, approximately 2.5 billion people who profess to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we know from Scripture, not everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is actually truly converted. But still, 2.5 billion people in the world are proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. Started with a room of people smaller than this. And now God, through Christ, is receiving praise from the lips of African Christians and Chinese Christians and Indian Christians and American Christians and Mexican Christians all over the world. And Revelation 5 tells us that he will have praise from the lips of men and women from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. That's the love of God. That's the vastness of love's embrace. Everyone in the world can have salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ and can have the love that's offered in John 3.16. But... There's a third way in which I think the magnificence of God's love comes to expression in John 3.16, and that is what I'm calling the greatness of love's provision. The greatness of love's provision. God so loved the world, what did he do? What provision did he make? He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He provided a sacrifice. He provided something costly. He provided his son. Now that leads to my second point. We've seen the magnificence of God's love in John 3.16. Now secondly, I want you to see a costly 
gift, a costly gift. And I see it in these words. For God so loved the world, these words here, that he gave his only begotten son. Now, I'm not going to try to explain what it means that Jesus Christ was the only begotten son of the Father. But I just want to impress on you why this language is used in the way that it is used. It is meant to impress upon us the uniqueness of this provision that God offered. God did not offer to the world. He did not give to the world something that was just simply expendable. Something that didn't matter to him. He didn't just throw a bull or a goat on the altar and say, there. God gave the greatest and most costly gift he could have given. He gave his own son. And the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world as a, as a man. And he had to dwell among sinners. And he had to sweat. And he had to bruise his knee. And he had to go to the cross. And he had to uh, have the crown of thorns crushed upon his head. He had to be beaten and mocked and ridiculed by men and women. And more than that, he had to bear the wrath of God. If God was going to accomplish the intended effect of this great gift, he would have to pour out his wrath upon his son, Jesus Christ. The scriptures say that without blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. And God, having set up this world order and recognizing that if he was going to receive sinful men and women, there would have to be the shedding of blood. He interposes the blood of his own son. He sends his son into the world, this most costly gift, and he pours out his wrath on his son, Jesus Christ, the wrath that was due toward our sins. And Christ suffers in our place if we believe on him. It was a most costly gift. It was a most costly sacrifice, a sacrifice of immeasurable value. The son of God came into the world and died on the cross for the sins of men and women like us. But there's a third point I'd like you to see in John 3.16. We've seen a magnificent love, a costly gift. Now thirdly, and maybe most importantly for us tonight, there is in John 3.16 a glorious offer. A glorious offer. A magnificent love, a costly gift, and now a glorious offer. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes on Him should not perish but have everlasting life, a glorious offer. Three things I want you to see here. First of all, there's a call to believe in this offer, a call to believe. The gospel message does require that men and women have faith in Jesus Christ. A lot of people want to stop with the first part of John 3.16. God so loved the world. All right, we're good, we're done. Okay, we're all going to heaven. No, no, no. There's a call. There's a summons in the gospel. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You must commit yourself in faith and repentance to the Lord Jesus. We must commit all that we are to all that Christ is. That is what faith is. It is a whole-souled commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to stake our lives on Jesus. We need to follow Jesus and, and determine that we'll be disciples of Him who follow Him wherever He goes. It's a sort of faith and believing that involves repentance of sin. We determine that we can no longer live in sin, but we have to pursue a perpetual life of repentance and finding forgiveness in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There's a call, there's a summons to believe. And if you're to know the full effect, the full benefit of John 3.16, this love of God that is in Christ, you have to have faith. You have to believe. You have to commit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to stake all that you are on all that he is. And you need to become a disciple. You need to follow the Lord Jesus and live a life of repentance 
and faith. There is a call to believe. There is a summons to believe in this glorious offer. But secondly, there's this promise, a twofold promise. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. A twofold promise. First of all, let's see the first part of that promise. There's deliverance from death. There's deliverance from perishing. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you do not have to perish. You will be delivered from death. The world around us is perishing. I think it's something like Every second, two people die in the world. Two, four, six, eight, ten. That means while we've been meeting here, when we started this service, I suppose at 5.30, roughly three to 4,000 people have died in the world. The world around us is perishing. You know you're perishing. And we see signs of that, don't we, every day. I keep going to the mirror and trying to get this salt that somehow got in my beard and it won't come out. And then I realize it's gray hair, right? We're perishing. Our bodies are wasting away. All around us, the world is perishing. The world is fading. Men and women are dying in their sins apart from Christ. And it doesn't end there. What it means to perish is not just that you go to the grave and die like a dog and sleep in the grave. No, there's life after death. And for those who are outside of Christ, it is a most horrible existence. You know there's life after death? You know that, right? That you won't just die like a dog. You have a mind. You have a soul. How do you think you're thinking right now? Biology can't explain that. Yes, your flesh, my hands, my legs, my body will cease to be. And it will be silent in the grave. But my soul, my mind will live on. And at the resurrection of the dead, I will receive a new body. Well, those who are outside of Christ also live on. Those who do not embrace the gospel message but reject the Lord Jesus, they live on as well. But we're told that they're cast into a place of outer darkness, a place called hell. And they will suffer forever if they reject the Lord Jesus Christ. It's terrible to think about, right? But see, this is the wonder of John 3.16. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, everyone here in this room now, if you believe on Jesus, you'll be delivered from death. You'll be delivered from death. You will not have to perish. No one here in this room has to perish and has to endure anything that I just talked about. If you'll believe on Jesus, if you'll have faith in him, if you'll stake your life on him, you can be saved right now. You could be found in Christ and you can know the love of God for all eternity in his presence. This is a second wonderful promise. And that is that everyone who believes on the Lord Jesus will not only not perish, but will have everlasting life. Everlasting life. Can you imagine a more wonderful thing? Jesus says that he has the authority to give life. He has life in himself because the Father who has life in himself has given to Jesus the authority to have life in himself and to dispense life to whomever he wishes. If you are united to Christ, if you have a relationship with him, if you put your faith and trust in him, he promises to give to you eternal life. You have that life by virtue of being attached to Christ because he's immortal, because he's eternal, because he has everlasting life. If you're found in him, you will have it as well. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will live forever in paradise, in the presence of God, and in the presence of his dear son. Nobody here has to perish. Everybody here can have life. Everybody here can have life. That's a message worth telling our friends. A message worth telling our family members, our neighbors, 
that you need not die. And another place of Scripture say, why would you die? You can have Jesus today. If you believe the message of John 3.16, you do not have to perish, but will have everlasting life. I call on each one of you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today. Be found in Him and to find the life that He offers. Let's pray together. Our Father in Heaven, it's no wonder why John 3.16 is such a well-known text and so beloved by so many people across the world. This message gives hope to each one of us. This message gives hope to a perishing world. This gospel contained in these wonderful words, this is the message that we want to hail, that we want to shout from the rooftops, that we want to proclaim to this generation. This is the message, this is the gospel that we want to send to the nations. This is the message that you offer to men and women. And if they believe in it, if they cast themselves on the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, you are pleased to receive them and to deliver them from death and to give them everlasting life through Jesus Christ. We pray that you do that for each one of us here tonight. Lord, life is a fearful thing and death perhaps even more fearful. But give confidence to your children here in this room that they will be delivered from death and they will enjoy everlasting life with the Lord Jesus. And we pray for each one here who's outside of Christ that they would be impressed with their need for a Savior and their need to have faith in Jesus Christ and their need to escape sin and death. And may they cry out to you, commit their lives to you, become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, and may they have the life that he offers to every man and woman without distinction. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.